Welcome to Box Out Banter on November 9th. Chris uh, Okamura joining me as always. Jordan Christmas. Come on, Jordan. What's up, Chris? Ready to uh, get this started. This is our, fir- this is our first episode, man. I- I'm excited. I'm, yeah, I'm so am excited I. about this. And an interesting season to start with. Um, I know, right? It's kind of like a time lag. <laughs> like it's so we- like it's so weird getting like we're preparing for the draft in mid November, but that should have happened like back in June. We had a champion in October, and now we're having a really quick turnaround for the NBA season. Now it's going to be starting on December 22nd, which is kind of fast, but Hey, uh, what better time to start a podcast than in weird times, I guess. I guess so. There gives us something to do, right? So, so you, you brought it up, so we'll just go right into it. So yeah, 20, December 22nd is the tentative start date. Uh, December 1st is going to be the training camp date, 72 game season uh, drafts on the 18th. So that's next week. And free agency is going to open up either slightly before or after. We're not quite sure on that yet. I think that's something they're still agreeing on. Um, so I wanted to get into some quick numbers for people that don't understand. The reason why there's a quick turnaround time is because delaying it to January or February, where a lot of the players wanted to start, would have cost about a $500 million to a $1 billion deficit. Uh, yep. Yep. Missing Christmas. Christmas is such a huge day for the NBA. Um, and so for for them not to have that is kind of going to be a huge thing so they needed to push it forward they didn't want to lose the spot to the the nfl either because that could have been a possibility that they'd lose a lot of ratings and lose right. a lot of leverage moving forward And they were trying to fit in a 72 game season before the start of the olympics in july so there is also that to factor in also right so kind of the big thing that we're going to get into with free agency and with the draft is all this stuff going on with the CBA and with the cap. So really quick, again, we're trying to get through all this kind of logistical stuff before we get into like the really cool stuff. The NBA had a $4 billion loss from venues, no venues and no fans over the last half of its season. So that's a 40% revenue loss of BRI, which is basketball related income. And so basketball related income is what, determines the cap uh so the cba is a right now is a 50 50 split between the players and owners to split that basketball related income and so the cap prediction projection for this season before COVID happened was going to be around seven 117 million dollars and then uh it was going to go up uh another five million to 122 million uh this is basically just right. go up for the rest of the cba but now it's capped at 109 for this season and there's a minimum two percent increase on the cap for the rest of the cba is how they were they're trying to mitigate it now right so basically they're keeping it a flat cap it's a it's a not a fake cap but it is a uh manually adjusted cap meaning by the salary cap rules So, again, salary cap is based directly upon BRI, the basketball-related income. So, by the rules of the the CBA, the cap right now should be around, like, 85 to 90 million, which just isn't feasible uh, for it to drop off that much over the course of one season. So, the NBA and the owners are uh, manually inflating the cap back up to uh, where it was last season. So, it's keeping it flat and stable so it's the same cap that we had last year and then they have agreed with the 
uh, unions that it's going to go up 2% annual growth for the rest of the CBA. Yep. So that's pretty fair. I think uh, it's, it's sort of, gives teams a lot more leverage because there's no way i mean obviously teams like the lakers the celtics like the bigger franchises are gonna are perfectly fine with the lower cap because they're gonna pay the luxury tax anyway yeah right but for lower smaller teams i think like the charlotte hornets okc or even something like the milwaukee bucks right like milwaukee bucks have been an organization like even they are even though they are a championship caliber roster they have been uh sort of hesitant to spend yeah, had to sacrifice Malcolm Brogdon to avoid that, uh, pretty much, or trade him away. Right. So having to shed an extra twenty million dollars in salary cap over the course of one season is not feasible for them. Um, so it could cause a lot of problems. Yep. And and uh, it it's inter- it's interesting uh, because I've been thinking about you know the this quick turnaround of a start date and i mean at the end of the day it is all about the money right i mean the players can him and haw about it being a quick turnaround and stuff but nobody wants to lose out on that much money and then potentially give the owners an out in the current collective bargaining agreement so then they could negotiate a new one and basically tilt the basketball related income back to their side cuz remember in the 2021 before the uh 2021 lockout the original or not the original the previous basketball related income split i believe was 5347 right so the owners have been slowly knocking it back down over the last three to four cbas yep and then so that was a huge sticky point and the players worked so hard to get it to uh to basically get it to a 50 50 split and it was kind of in jeopardy when um they were talking about bringing the season back in the bubble in Orlando, there was a big risk of them opting out of the CBA. And then uh, if the season didn't continue and it seemed like they were in that same situation again, where they would have taken a huge financial hit. So I think there was at the end of the day, incentive on both sides to get this done. And while the top four teams who the top four uh, conference finalist teams may be kind of screwed uh, to put it bluntly with this, quick turnaround um a lot of teams had nine months off the teams that were eliminated in the first round back in september you know got an got extra time off so it was kind of it was going to be hard to justify going to a martin luther king starting date on january 18th as fire as that would have been given the times that we're in right now um uh it it was just it was the players had to look out for themselves here and i think i think that at the end of the day both sides had to come to the table and say hey let's let's just you know do the december 22nd date right uh so the way that they're kind of working around this is they're gonna work around the schedule and make it more like try to make it more like a baseball schedule so trying to make sure that you're playing instead of playing the lakers playing the suns uh you know four times a year over the course of the year, they played all of their games in Phoenix at once, uh, playing it more like a series. So there's a less travel there, yeah. which means it kind of sucks for teams coming to LA because you'd have to play all of your games against the Lakers and Clippers back to back, which is horrifying. And, just, and, <laughs> and it's just ample time for people to get sucked in by the LA nightlife. Right. So that could be a problem. But I mean, otherwise, I mean, there's they're doing all they can to sort of fight uh, positive tests and lower travel times. 
Right. Uh, the thing to note here too is that players are going to lose, I think, one point zero eight percent of their salary for each canceled game. Uh, there's a force majeure provision in the collecting bargaining agreement, so that if the game isn't played, the, that money is just lost, um, because obviously the game wasn't played. Yep. Uh, the way they're kind of fighting that is through escrow. So, right now, escrow happens. It's not a new thing. The escrow happens in the NBA right now uh, because of just as a safety precaution. So 10% escrow that could go up to, I think they're negotiating from anywhere from 18 to 25% escrow. So doubling or going over double the current escrow amount. Basically, what it means is that uh, the NBA holds a percentage of the players' salaries. And so players get game checks. And then you basically percentage of that game check goes to the NBA, sort of like a tax. And then at the end of the year, if there were no problems or no cancellations, cool, you get all that money back. But if something does happen, then that money is given to the NBA or to the owners. And then, you know, whatever percentage is given back to the players. So it's 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 just a, per, a protective thing to make sure that the players don't eventually at the end of the year owe money. Right. I also wonder with the... Uh... With the expected cap now, that is going to be basically a flat rate of 109. One, you brought up Milwaukee earlier, but uh, like small market teams like that who have a star player and are trying to, who have the pressure to win now, uh, they lose a little bit of leverage in terms of offering a max contract. Like Giannis's, before the stoppage, before the pandemic, Giannis's uh, projected supermax was going to be something like a five-year 250 million dollar contract or something like that now it's more around like the 230 225 range and look i would love to him and haw about multiple millions of dollars as if <laughs> i got a pay cut but that is it, it is a leverage point right and also right. i just i wonder how it's going to affect free agency this summer because uh and i guess we could kind of transition into that if you want to but uh, it gets free- to the point where there's not a ton available this right summer. yeah and so i was looking at it yesterday and really the only teams with well there's two teams with projected max cap space of more than 40 million dollars that's the atlanta hawks and the new york knicks and then the rest of the teams that have cap space uh i believe it's so Detroit's projected cap space would be around 30 million. The Heat would be 21. They're obviously not. I imagine they're going to do one-year deals this year and hold off on Bam Adebayo's extension because they are playing for the big fish in the 2021 free agency class. Right. But then you have Charlotte and Phoenix, and those aren't exact, ex- with the exception of the Suns, who I have a lot of stock in. A lot of these teams, it just makes me wonder how many one-year deals we're going to see from players who were expecting a big payday this summer. Like, you look at the series Montrez Harrell had against the Nuggets, where he was basically just eaten alive. And granted, he had some family stuff going on and had to go in and out of the bubble and things like that. He kind of wasn't the same player. But after what you saw from Montrez Harrell and how he can be exploited and how big men like Anthony Davis or Jokic can just eat him alive. Are you, are you really going to pay $18 million a year for Montrez Harrell? Like I imagine a lot of these players who are looking at a big payday this summer are probably going to take one year deals with contenders. Cause I don't think veterans like let's say Paul Millsap or Tristan or Tristan Thompson, for example, they don't want to go to the Knicks or 
or to the Hawks or the Pistons, maybe sign a one-year deal with the Heat, or maybe you're a believer in Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton like I am, and so you want to take maybe less less money to go play on a up and up and coming team. But I think this is, could be a boon potentially for contenders this summer that can't spend any more money that don't have cap space, but have exceptions. They could get creative with trades, et cetera, et cetera. It just seems like it tips in the favor of contenders a little bit. I don't know what you think about that. No, I totally agree. So I broke down a lot of the free agents into groupings. So there's like kind of the big guys that we know are staying. So like Anthony Davis, Brandon Ingram, uh, even I put Christian Wood, Davis Bertans in that, in that argument as well. Uh, Jeremy Grant, like these are all guys that I expect to stay with their respective teams. Yep. The interesting ones to me are the overpaid guys. So a Gordon lot of Hay- player options could be taken right. So like, like Gordon Haywood probably should take the player option. There's rumors that he wants to leave. Uh, so he's making he's set to make thirty four million dollars this season. Uh, still on his max deal. And no one's going to pay him that if he. No, him. his effective value is actually around fifteen million. <laughs> and that's being generous yeah um so i mean look he's a still he's still a solid player we just don't know if he can stay healthy and he's certainly not the player he was when he was with utah right and so he should probably opt into that deal uh same goes for demar Derozan. he's making 27.7 million dollars this year his effective value is around 12 million mm-hmm. uh so obviously he doesn't want to be in san antonio he's a player that i could see leaving but staying for the money like someone like Andre Drummond and shout out to my Cav- my Cavs friend writer for Fear the Sword Evan Damarell. Um Drummond was on Andre Drummond for example was on the record saying he's exercising his option to stay in Cleveland and he's owed 28.8 million and if he opted out ain't nobody in the right mind is going to pay Andre Drummond that money in this economy. <laughs> no, same thing goes with Otto Porter. I put them all in that same group. Uh, he also makes 28 million, but he's not anywhere near worth that amount of money. Uh, the other per- the person that I put kind of on the fence in that group is Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, he's right around where his effective value is. He makes about 18 million, and his effective value is around 17 million. Uh, I could see him getting more and a bit overpaid somewhere else, like going to the Knicks, going back to the Knicks. <laughs> Reunion. <laughs> right. But at the same time, I don't know how much winning is a value to him and being a part of what Dallas is doing. But I also think that Dallas want, even if he stays with Dallas, they want to also clear their books for the run at Giannis. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if he would even be potentially re-signed if once his deal is done. So that's also an interesting one. Uh, I have Fred Van Fleet and Drogic. I think they're hand hand capped together. I think I think they're handcuffed together. I think if Dragic leaves, the Heat can sign Van Fleet, but I don't see him leaving. Yeah, and I and I, and I think if Dragic stays, then Fred Van Fleet also stays with the Raptors. Um, they're they're very similar players in the way that they run an offense. Mm-hmm. Van Fleet has more value because he's one of the better defensive guards. Right. I think the the thing is that the Heat offense runs so much. It's so predicated off of the pick and roll from Dragic and Bam. Yep. So Dragic ran pick and roll 39% of the time with a 71 percentile effectiveness with it. While Van Fleet ran it in uh, Toronto 23 or 32% of the time with a 49% effectiveness. So 
you know, there, there's a huge differential there on the offensive end of the court. But then again, like he he still provides value on that end while still giving a defensive upside. So I think again, that's a that's an option. But I don't see that being the case. Uh, the two kind of major sh- groups that I get into with the free agent stuff is I have the shooters, mm-hmm. and then I have a lot of bigs. <laughs> right. So the shooters, I have I put Bogdan on here because he is he's not a free agent per se, but he is he is restricted. He's a restricted free agent. So, but there's a lot of value with him and a lot of trade potential because the Kings do seem to be shopping him around quite a bit. Uh, I put him in there with Joe Harris and Delano Garnari. I have them all in the same kind of group. Yeah, I think they all rela- are related to each other. Mm-hmm. Um. I think Joe yeah. Harris is leaning towards staying because why would you leave the Nets with you have Kyrie and Durant and Durant? Yep. Uh, it I just think, depends on how much the Nets are willing to pony up for him. Uh, right. But I think going to your point of it being a contender's market, I think the Lakers, the Bucks, the Clippers are all very interesting for Danilo. Uh, and, yep. and also maybe to make a move for Bogdan. Danilo literally said that uh, he said a, a few months back that he he would be willing to take less money to play for a contender. And this is what this is, you know, back to the contenders market thing. This is why the Lakers probably have the biggest advantage. I know that's something you like to hear uh, because Absolutely. they have they have one LeBron James and LeBron is very persuasive in a lot of ways. And players take pay cuts and one year deals to go play with them. So if there's there's a lot of good players, good fitting players in this free agency class. And so if you are someone like Danilo Gallinari or maybe Joe Harris just, you know, decides to have a complete change of mind, he probably won't. But maybe he decides to, you know, join the Bucks or somebody like that on a limited deal or maybe or he may he might be too young for that. But it makes your thought and gives you more options to uh, factor into your thought process calculus. and. I think guys like maybe Davis Bertans could Davis Bertans, as you mentioned, is also somebody that could, you know, maybe he won't get what he thinks he deserves this year, but if he, you know, stays with the wizards on a one-year deal or signs some somewhere else, uh, then he can cash out next summer. Um, Bogdan Bogdanovich is an interesting one because living in Sacramento, I watched a lot of Kings games and, I'm not so sure. Maybe previous ownership, Vlade Divac would have probably have done something stupid and <laughs> uh, like he, par for the course, like he always did during his tenure in Sacramento. Um, maybe I mean, he probably would have ex- uh, extended Bogdanovich, but then he, but then there was doubt about that because he did things like not pick up Harry Giles' qualifying offer, which it literally cost nothing to do, and you right. get to retain his rights. But now you're letting a potentially good big hit the market while you're still loaded with, you know, while you're still trying to play Bagley, Costa Kufis, and Rashawn Holmes at center <laughs> and stuff like that. Um but Bogdan Bogdanovich is an interesting one, and he's gonna he's gonna be a comp that I'm gonna bring up later when we get to the draft. But somebody who can play make, somebody who is a good shooter, 
Um, I think his three-point percentage isn't as good as it should be because he took a lot of threes off the dribble. But somebody who's a secondary creator, a, a secondary uh, scorer, somebody who can attack a closeout off of a, you know a shifted defense, I could see. I could definitely see why the Bucks have been reportedly going for him. Like the, the reports have been flying out but uh i imagine the new king's front office headed by monty mcnair he's a disciple of daryl morey and that whole tree i imagine he sees value in having a player that could do multiple things on the court uh more so than vladi does and i imagine they're going to keep bogdan bogdanovich and i think buddy Heald's going to be actually the next one out but just players like that there this this free agency class is going to be or how it plays out is going to be really, really interesting. Players are probably going to take like you, how many player options do the Lakers have? Um, yeah, I know Contavious Coldwell Pope has a player extension. Yeah. Rondo. <clears throat> Rondo. Um, it just seems like this is the summer where more players are going to take that player option because they're not going to make that money back anywhere else if they were to opt out. Right. I mean, the only the only way I don't see players taking it is if something happens. Like if the Lakers somehow trade for Chris Paul, I don't see Rondo resigning. Obviously, yeah. I think him, I think he signed somewhere else. But unless something else happens like that, unless a team makes a move where that spot is now taken, I think mm. players just kind of t- take the status quo and like kind of treat it as more of an extension of last year. Like if the Lakers somehow pry Serge Ibaka away from the Raptors. Serge Ibaka right. had a great year last year. Uh, he could he could definitely you know. So that, go that on gets a... me into this into this big talk. So we have Paul Millsap, who you mentioned earlier, Serge Ibaka, who we talked about, Tristan Thompson, Derek Favors, Aaron Baines, Marcus Morris, Marcus Gasol, Dwight Howard. If he doesn't resign, uh, Hassan Whiteside. These are all kind of these are cheap bigs cheap veteran bigs that you can fit into like it's like going to walmart and there's big, <laughs> there's bigs on the shelf there's ones that can shoot there's, there's ones that bigs can on there's bigs on the dollar discount on. <laughs> <laughs> like you know where which one do you want what do you what kind of big do you need do you need one that can space the floor do you need one all that i know pack? is i'm putting down the hassan Whiteside package immediately and walking <laughs> away yeah he's a He's a he's a numbers guy to me. Yeah, and he just, but it goes back to um, he's an empty a, calorie guy to me. Yeah, but is it? Yeah, he's definitely. Oh yeah, he's definitely an empty. Ca- I've haven't been a fan of Hassan Whiteside for years. Uh, I thought, you know, when he first burst onto the scene in Miami, it was like, oh wow, this guy's getting triple doubles and blocks and stuff like that. But then it just seemed like once he got the max extension, you just saw the effort wasn't there, and then the game was just moving past him. He's just too slow chases blocks just even with portland you know he was effective at in some games but you know by the playoffs once nurkic came back and hassan would sub in for nurkic it became like the on-off splits were a disaster and he's just he hasn't been good for the last few years but there's a lot of discount bigs i wonder how much paul Millsap rehabilitated his image after basically he was the catalyst of that 3-1 Clippers comeback after uh, squaring, almost squaring up with Marcus Morris in that yeah. series um, and actually started playing a little bit like the Paul Millsap of old. I don't want to go overboard, but, you know, effective. It, it just goes to show, like, the Lakers, they won the championship going big, and so this is also a good boon for 
if you're a free agent big man. Uh, I imagine Dwight Howard is going to get another look again, whether it's from the Lakers or whether it's from a few other teams. And the guy was almost out of the league last summer. So it it's a very it's a very weird time, a very weird free agency class with and now that and the finances obviously throw a monkey wrench into it, but there's a lot of good bigs. There's a lot of there's a lot of good role players. It's kind of like it's kind of like the draft in a sense. There's not anyone big uh talent wise, like uh game changing, franchise changing free agents or anything like that. Uh, but there are definitely players to be had at value to bolster your roster or try to combat the fact that the Lakers have Anthony Davis and LeBron James now basically as the four or five center combo. At least, you know, when the playoffs roll around, the regular season, they're not going to be doing that too much. But and we didn't even mention Carmelo. Carmelo's still out there. Uh... Yeah, I would take a flyer on Carmelo. I'm not yeah. going to lie. No, I, I think Carmelo, if Carmelo plays the way he played in Portland, where he's not the focal point in the offense, but he knows his role. He knows that he's there to score. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, know, he knows not to kind of demand the ball and, and that he's going to be a scoring option. Like he's coming off the bench and he knows what to do. I think he's still a, a very valuable player. To do I know that. there's debate about whether Clutch is real or not. I think Clutch is real, but Melo, <laughs> but Melo also does hit big shots and he's not scared of taking, like, in in a very layman Stephen A. Smith term, his palms don't get sweaty when he when the big shot comes to him potentially, and he made right. some big shots in the bubble. Like he still got that factor to him too, you know. No, absolutely, and I think there's also some kind of younger options. Like the one that stood out to me is DeAnthony Melton. DeAnthony, Ooh, Melton, I love DeAnthony Melton. I I love that kid, and I have a know, soft spot for DeAnthony Melton. Like he, I. He is a solid defender. He's getting a t- way better. He can dribble. He can create his own shots. He can spot he's, up. He's a little streaky, but I mean, he's a solid. But you know the but the the framework is there. Right. That's why I loved his talent so much. Like that package in particular, so much. And he fits so well next to Jaw. I don't see any reason why the Grizzlies don't keep him. But if he doesn't, I could see a team like the Knicks giving him a lot of money or at least a decent amount of money to grow and be a young piece somewhere. Maybe a potential Phoenix reunion. He was with the Suns for a bit too. And then they, before they moved on from him or maybe Charlotte, you know, help out uh, Devontae Graham because Devontae Graham is really small as much as I liked his offensive improvement this year. Maybe D'Anthony Melton is somebody the, the Hornets look at, but then they might be backlogged because of, you know, Rogier uh mel or rogier and uh graham yes and yeah, uh, yeah. and um so but, i think it depends on how much you like graham and i think we're all yeah Devontae. I, I have a lot of thoughts about their draft position because they i think they i think the hornets are in the most interesting draft position and it all comes down to how they feel about their guards um yeah but yeah i mean we can jump to the draft if you want That's, yeah let's let's on. jump it let's uh let's jump into uh the draft so the draft is next wednesday right november 18th um for time for time's sake uh i have i have my favorite prospects i did not watch as much college basketball this year as i normally do uh started a full-time job at iheart last year and then this year has just been extended and i (laughs) haven't and i haven't had i haven't watched college basketball enough to the point where i i usually do like a mini big board um especially during when my team the Sixers were tanking I was 
I was all over it, all over <laughs> it. And then even a few years after, I was all over it because I loved the Don. I loved the, uh, the 2018 draft. I loved the I loved last year's draft before this. But it seems like I guess you could you could chime in and correct me if I'm wrong. But it just seems like for me, this draft class, I don't see very many players that have like that ceiling of being no. a franchise changing pick, but there is a lot of good role players and there's a lot of good, like ro- not just role players, but role players that could do a little bit of everything. I like players that could do multiple things on the court. Um, and it just seems like there's a lot of that in this draft, but let's, let's get into some of the uh, big prospects. Why are you feeling about some of the, big name prospects we'll get into favorite prospects but what are you so, feeling about the guys like edwards ball wise well, before before you even get into that i totally agree with you with the role player thing the thing that's kind of funny is this draft reminds me a ton of the 2016 or the 2006 draft do you remember that draft at all uh that's the that's the chris paul draft right no that's not the chris no paul that's draft. that's me... so this is the this is the 26 the 2006 draft is uh, there's there's the first kind of top ten picks to look at were Andrea oh, Barn- the Andre Bargnani draft. Yeah, so Andrea Bargnani, they had Lamarcus Aldridge, Brandon Roy, Adam Morrison, Tyrus Thomas, Sheldon Williams. You know, like oh, it's, man, kind a, it's kind of a it's kind of a it's kind of a mixed bag in there, right? In the top half of the draft, and then when you look at the back half, you have Randy Foy, Rudy Gay, JJ Redick, Ty Cephalosha, Ronnie Brewer, Rajon Rondo, Rondo, Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry Brandon, uh, Shannon Brown, Jordan Farmer. Steve Novak was a good. He had a right. good eleven-year career in the NBA. Millstep, like you got a lot of guys in there that DJ aren't stars. They hung around for a long time. Yeah, and so, that's and that's exactly that. Okay, so the 2006 draft. That's actually that's a that's a good call by you bringing that up because that's exactly how I see some of these players. But what 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 are your I guess what are your initial thoughts when you think about? the top three lot, the lottery in this draft. What are your, what are your, what are you feeling? So, hot take. I think oh, I Wise- love hot, hot takes on the first episode. Let's go. I think Wiseman is what people thought Bagley was. Ooh. Ooh. Like think of everything people were saying about Bagley when he first came in, he's hyper athletic. He's an active big, he can shoot. He's yeah, a flexible as a handle can play a little bit of three, maybe a little bit of like, you know, he well, has Blade the, said that he could play three. Well, okay. I don't think anybody in the right mind. Out that. Of that three. <laughs> I mean, but he has, he has some, he has the, he has guard skill, right? Like he has some mm-hmm. skills in terms of ball handling, outside shooting, his good touch, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think Wiseman has all of that. And I think it's, he's going to be what we thought Bagley was, at least in my okay. mind. Uh, to to me, he's the clear top prospect. Okay, so I agree with that. Actually, uh, I know guys like KOC, Kevin O'Connor of the Ringer have Killian Hayes number one, and I like Killian Hayes. Shout out Lefty Gang. I'm a left hand. I, so I am I left handed predominant. What? So am I? Oh, okay. All right, Lefty Gang here. I'm um, with you. And also James Wiseman, also also Lefty Gang. Um, but I agree with you. James Wiseman to me if you're if I'm a GM and I know that there is not a clear cut like this draft is weird teams are barely getting to see these guys work out is most in his interviews mostly I would go with the high ups and I think in the NBA 
today. I think there is, I think the latter part of this decade has shown there's multiple ways to win, but everybody talks about like last decade was the era of the three point shot. The Houston Rockets kind of bastardized three point attempts a little bit because of the personnel they had. The Warriors, the Splash Brothers changed the game completely, et cetera, et cetera. But I also think another way to win in the NBA. And there's a great Rob Mahoney piece on the ringer about this. You got to have a big who's a specialist or a big man who's special. And if I'm trying to take a swing at somebody in the lottery, like the Warriors, I don't know if I would trade out of the number two spot, especially if Anthony Edwards is projected to go to the Timberwolves, like a lot of people think. Um, well, that's that's switched in the last couple of days. So the last couple of days, well, I've I heard did a lot see a report that the Timberwolves also were looking at Wiseman, but I don't know how much I believe that because you know how it is around that right. time where you know people can just you know feed reporters lies and or not lies, but you know misdirection and smoke sure. and misinformation and stuff like that to try to cover their tracks. But to me, Wiseman, he's I'm a huge wingspan guy, seven six wingspan. I like that. 7-1, can run the floor like a deer. He has no problems walking or running in his gait. Um, he's athletic. He has the potential to be a really good shot blocker. There's some shooting potential there. Um, it kind of looks like, it looks like, a, it half kind of looks like Chris Bosch's shooting form. It does. And, I, and I've always, shot. It, and I kind of always liked Chris Bosch, uh, Bosch's uh, shooting form. I think he, I'm still not sure if he could project out the three-point range, but he's a good free he's a good free throw shooter, or at least you know not 60, 50 percent. Um, so free throw is usually a good indicator if you can you know shoot, yeah, yeah, shoot basically extend extend your range. Um, I just he obviously needs to he has other stuff to clean up on. He's not a, really a good passer. He can't see the floor well. He's not a good decision maker, and that's why I think. If Wiseman goes to somebody like the Warriors, I think he'll immediately just recognize his potential just by fact that they're going to have him in a limited role because he's a good lob threat. He's going to have great players around him. I'm pretty sure Draymond's going to yell at him every single practice. (laughs) (laughs) And just they can confine Wiseman's role and bring out his strengths while working on his weaknesses. I think... Wiseman is the type of big, like I was mentioning earlier, where he could fall into that category of like a specialist or maybe a special big man. But I think he, but to me, it looks like he could fall into either one or he could be Hashim Thabit and, you know, not work <laughs> I don't out at all. But I don't, I don't, I don't think he is either, but you, but there's, you never a, know, a, you never know. There's a chance of that happening, but I think Wiseman is obviously more skilled, has more of a feel for the game than Thabit did. Um, I think the thing is with Wiseman is his, his floor is basically what the Warriors do now with yeah, their big. Yeah, I agree, one hundred percent. Now he can come in and he could never grow and never develop, and he'll still be a Javale McGee, Marcus starting Chris to, kind yeah. of like starting center that can just run the floor, rebound. Like I don't see why he can't be better in that role than, like you said, McGee or Kevon Looney was in, right during those championship runs where they the only just question, needed a patchwork the only, center. The only real question is like especially with the way the cap is now, do you want to pay Wiseman to do that? Exactly. And that's so when you, when you can get a McGee or a Dwight for way cheaper. And that's where, and that's where the advantage of having a rookie contract would, 
be great for the Warriors too because they could kind of evaluate and see that right like they could they can help him develop the first few years of his career and by the end of his contract his rookie contract they could decide whether he's worth that or not but um that that is the big question um because then you would potentially let a number two pick walk out if uh if Wiseman isn't what you thought he was gonna be but I just I I like I like the skills I like the potential skill set he projects to have in the NBA I like the physical features he's a just an athletic freak and I just like the two-way potential the question is you know whether he the, it seems like he's a good kid he has a good work ethic so I have no doubt he has a desire to get better I just want to know um I just want to see I guess I guess that's that's all it is at the end of this day right this draft is really weird um nobody like nobody knows where anybody's gonna go i feel like any pick could happen in the first 10 and i wouldn't be shocked in the lottery like anything could happen and i wouldn't be shocked necessarily i think this is the good time for teams to just make decisions and be comfortable yeah it'd be more comfortable taking a shot in the dark or just believing in the prospect that you believe in because you know people will have different opinions you can't just go off of mock drafts online and stuff like that people are going to have dissenting opinions how much do you believe in it this is the draft maybe where you could just you know pound your fist on the table and be like yes this guy (laughs) yeah so again we're i think we're pretty aligned on wiseman anthony edwards so i think i brought this up to you the other day We've been hearing for years, and it can, everyone's kind of known for years that the a the influence of AAU has sort of been a detriment to the NBA and to the development of prospects because of the hero ball and because of like how AAU is sort of how they run. How they the don't, systems ran, yeah. Right. So I think this is the to me this is the first draft where we're really seeing it come to fruition and seeing it materialize, and it's also the first draft where I think kids have grown up with the Steph Curry and. James and Harden Dame, era and Dame Lillard kind of stuff where every single person almost to 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 a T every single person in this draft has really terrible shot selection like atrocious shot selection some of the worst I've ever yeah. seen and yeah. it's it's pretty atrocious and Anthony Edwards I think falls into that just as much as everyone else does so a lot of people keep bringing up the Oladipo comparison with him and obviously okay he both coached by Tom Crean. They're both athletic as hell. They're not great shooters. But to me... Solid handle, solid feel for the game. Right. Like, to to me, the thing is with Oladipo, Oladipo's work ethic was never a question. That dude worked hard and was... Like, you you knew the effort level Some of his work ethic there. stories were legendary. Like, sleeping right. in the high school gym and stuff, mopping up the floors and stuff like that before practice and all that. Like, the dude is a worker. Right. And so maybe it's unfair because Anthony Edwards is the, the, I think the third person's youngest person in this draft, but like he, we just haven't heard these kind of, we've heard somewhat of the opposite stories about him where he's just not a worker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then again, the, the shooting stuff where Oladipo at least took smart shots. He wasn't a great shooter, but he took smart shots. Uh, Edwards shot 29% from three in college on a terrible Georgia team. But again, when you watch highlights, he's taking a lot of these from like Steph Curry range where he doesn't have that kind of range. Uh, now, I do. How much do you think of that is how much do you th- of that do you think is the fact that he played on a bad Georgia team? Because if you look at Georgia's record compared to past years, like it was 
it was an improvement. Like Georgia has <laughs> been a well, historically I mean, bad basketball program. And Anthony Edwards was really the only guy on there. I get what you're saying, but I do wonder how much do you think of it is the fact that he had to me, a bad same, team around him. I don't know. See, to me, it's the same thing as the same questions we had as with Ben Simmons at LSU. Where, remember, Ben Simmons at LSU. His defensive so, effort was atrocious and called into question all the time. Right. Like, and but and, and the thing was, but to me, the thing was with with Ben Simmons was he is a playmaker by heart. That is his that's what he's trying to do mm-hmm. at almost every possession. And so he's makes, a rebounder. So like his effort right. was never in question either to me. So it's just bad team. Right. So to me, it's the thing of with Ben Simmons, the question was, OK, well, he should be able to carry this team. But when you have a playmaker with nothing around you, it's hard to kind of do that. To me, Edwards is a alpha dog scorer. And someone that can just get to get buckets. So when you have right. that kind of guy, it's easier to me. It's easier for that guy to carry than a playmaker, because in college you're just kind of you're trying to make plays. And if you're the type of athlete and the type of player that Edwards is, you should be able to on most nights beat your man and score mm-hmm. at will. Yeah. And again, I think that comes down to shot selection. I mean, he's a decent free throw shooter. He shoots seventy-seven percent from the line. So again, that's. That's usually the better metric for determining three-point or shooting ability in general, but also it translates better to three-point shooting in the NBA than three-point shooting in college does. Don't ask. It's a weird thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like it's... I Again, I just don't think he made the most of his tools in college. Because again, we saw you know Durant in again different time but durant and beasley carry their college teams to the tournament and have mm-hmm. solid runs in the in march madness and if he's a top flight prospect he should be able to at least lift his team a little bit better because like he's a solid passer but he's i think it's more basic reads than anything um, sure i i don't think he's like a special passer by any means but maybe i guess to play a little devil's advocate because i am personally not a fan of anthony edwards um there's stuff to like about him um i definitely like his athleticism i think if the the problem the knock on him has been inconsistency on defense and lack of effort or inconsistency with his effort on defense also so i think that goes back to what you're saying about you know his work ethic and attentiveness maybe he grows up and matures because again these are teenagers but there is i do think that because when you watch like like I think there was a tournament game at the start of the college season. He had like seven threes and he was just, he, he, in terms of a score, like when he's on, it looks really, really good. And the problem is, can you channel that to, in, can you channel that and pull that out of him consistently? The shot selection is very troublesome. Even though he's a 70, he shot 77% from the free throw line. I still kind of don't like his shot. <laughs> like, no. I don't know what it is. Like, I, I've i dealt with some unorthodox shots. I have, I was caping for Lonzo Ball and his unorthodox form. I was like, hey, if it goes, it goes in, in, it goes in. Like, Same but, here. We both love Lonzo Ball. And like, we'll get to, yeah, we'll we get both, to LaMelo in a second. But I can't wait to talk about LaMelo. But I just, I just see Anthony Edwards shot. Like sometimes he'll kick his leg out too. Like it's just the base is inconsistent. The base of his shot is inconsistent. I don't like the hesitate, like the little slight hesitation he has when he rises up to the shot, like the transfer to the shot. If you, if you, uh, if you catch what I'm saying, um, 
I just it I do think there are some things to like though. Like he's very athletic. He can break his man off the dribble. Those are valuable in today's NBA. And trust me, as someone who watches a team that has like literally one ball handler, one who can't shoot. It's refreshing to see somebody like just break his man down off the dribble. And while it might not be the most advanced handle, might not have the most wiggle, um, he blows by people with his athleticism and he has the strength to finish over uh, defenders. So there's stuff to like about Anthony Edwards, but top prospect and franchise changing player. I'm going to, I'm telling you, I'm going to have to see better shot selection. I'm going to have to see better you know, improvement and progress in terms of playmaking and passing. And also, quite frankly, I just want to see more consistency in terms of being attentive on the defensive end of the floor. I think he has some great on-ball potential. Off-ball, I think, is arguably more important in today's NBA until you get to the playoffs, of course, where isolation scoring is still king. But there's just a lot that... There's a lot left to be desired about Anthony Edwards for sure. No, I totally agree with everything you said. And all right, let's let's get into this. Let's get into Lamella Ball because I yes. think he's the most yes. interest. I think he's the most interesting prospect in this draft. Okay, so this is also the draft not only for role players for me, but unique players like players that don't necessarily fit the mold of a normal player, right? Like there's no there's nothing like Lamella Ball in the NBA there, right there now. There is nothing yeah, no, like his shooting form, like his brother, is kind of weird. It's inconsistent. It's better. It's, it's better. better. Than, oh, it's, it's better. better. His handle is better too. And I think while Lonzo is the better defender, obviously, and he was in college, I think Lamelo has that IQ and the length and just I think he could be a really solid defender that can make defensive plays with his IQ. And I just think, um, you know, like Lonzo Ball, I think he was touted as a lottery pick for the wrong reasons. Um, I think he, to me, he was a lottery pick because I just loved how unique the package was, right? He was 6'6". He was a good passer. He was a a great great passer. Yeah, sorry. I undersold it. Great passer. Transition. Awesome. You know, off ball. He's smart. He can cut. He knows when to cut. He understands angles. He's he can finish lob dunks. Like, and I see a lot of this with Lamelo, but more of a. I see him more effective in the half court than Lonzo, um, because I think Lamelo can get to his spots easier because his handle is so much more advanced. Lonzo to me doesn't have wiggle in his handle or. It's not an he Lonzo, he has a solid first step, but it's not explosive. He's more of a straight line driver. Lamelo knows how to get to his spots, and he's just and he can and that's where his passing really shines because he can play off of that just right. by getting to his spots, dribble uh, breaking his man down off the dribble, running pick and roll. And now, of course, it goes back to what we were saying earlier about Anthony Edwards, the shot selection is atrocious is atrocious like and it's worse than anthony edwards he to me lamella has the worst selection in the draft (laughs) yeah like going all the way back to his days at chino hills like when i remember when that first viral video dropped where lamella was like pulling up from half court in his high school games i was like okay like i understand like the hype and stuff i'm all about being hype but like this is really atrocious it's (laughs) ridiculous really bad shot selection i imagine if 
if there's one thing that the Ball family has shown us, one some of the few positives that the Ball family has showed us, letting in letting us into their lives, is that we got to see how much the Ball kids like love basketball and absolutely how much they work at it. So that's why also I I will never give up on Lonzo because I know this dude cares about getting better. Like the guy completely overhauled his shooting form and shot 37% from three this year, like this past season. And the like, stigma is always going to stick with him. I don't think people oh, yeah. give him the credit he deserves to like of improving his shooting. Yeah, no. And he it, was ter- let, let's get, let, don't, don't tell the story. He was terrible in the he bubble. He was a terrible shoot. Yeah, yeah. He was terrible in the bubble for sure. But pre-bubble he was good and he was I, great I, he was he was yeah, he was like, everything you wished he was i did i did a i did a video i did a youtube video on my sly hooper youtube channel about the chemistry of lonzo and zion and just lonzo's numbers even before zion joined the team lonzo's numbers started improving a lot and then when zion joined it was just skyrocketed so I imagine Lamelo ball's work ethic is the same and i think he'll do what he can to make sure his shot is you know, consistent. His shot selection will be better. I hope I hope he'll listen to the coaches. Like I just think I I just love the unique package of of uh mellow ball. And I think if you're somebody like the Knicks, where or I think if you're somebody like the Knicks or maybe even the Suns, like maybe who I have a feeling ball's gonna drop in this draft. And I think the further he drops, I think teams are just gonna be salivating to trade up for him. Because I just think he's a unique player. And while he might not be a franchise quote unquote guard, like you think of, of like Steve Nash or, um, you know, Jason Kidd or whatever, um, he is a lottery pick in the fact that he has a unique skill set that if you put the right players around him, it's just going to be something great to watch because he's a brilliant playmaker. Yeah, I think so. He's dropping. I've heard mainly due to his interviews. I've heard he hasn't really. Yeah, I've heard he's had interviews. terrible interviews. Right, and you can see that too with just the way that he is. He's a kind of an awkward kid and kind of a cocky kid, and so you know, again, I totally understand where teams are are wary about that. Uh, to me, he's the biggest. He has the lowest floor and the highest ceiling of anyone in this draft. Like he could either be. Uh, an all pro or he could be out of the league in like a couple of years. <laughs> like it's, right. It just depends. He could be, he could be the next Jimmer for that where he just too cocky Oof. to take any kind of coaching. And so like, you know, I could totally see that being the case, but yeah. again, I love what he brings to the table. The size can't be understated to me. He's, he's seven to me. It's what it's kind of funny to me that, him and Lonzo approach the game completely differently. Lonzo wants to play defense so he can get out and run. Mm-hmm. And he he takes a lot of pride in his defense and he gets after people and he shows so much effort on the defensive end of the court to get out and run. Where LaMelo, yeah. he wants to slow it down. He wants to break down his defender. He wants to play half-court offense and dribble and and kind of play in the half-court. And it's so weird yeah, to it's watch. Re- it's and really then, it's really weird to watch because they're great passers, but they're great passers in different ways. Because I think in the half court, Lonzo is more of a quick passer. Like he'll move. He's a ball mover. He'll move the right. ball. Like he'll he'll move the ball to the next man. If he'll see the next guy open and ahead of the defensive rotation and just quickly swing it. Mello, like you said, he's more in the half court pick and roll, slow it down, get the defender on his back hip, 
and then find openings and creases to get to the to get easy baskets for his teammates. It's very different approaches, but it's similar but different. It's which is kind of an oxymoron in itself. But it, I definitely see what you're saying with that. So interesting how Lonzo is so unaggressive on offense and aggressive on defense, where Lamelo is hyper aggressive on offense and just passive on defense. It's so weird. And to think they grew up in the same house too, and had the same coaches, like it's so weird to me that they ended up on two completely different ends of the spectrum. Yeah, um, it's 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 very uh, it's it's very it's a very interesting uh, dynamic. But I I would I would definitely take a flyer on Lamelo Ball. I can deal with you know the dad drama and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So like I could see him outside. going. I could see him going three to Charlotte if they again going back to the thing that I was going to bring up. If they don't like Rogier or if they don't think Devontae Graham is a long-term option, like depending on how they feel about those prospects, I could see him going to Charlotte. I would I would take I would take Lamella Ball and start him over Rogier. I'm not the biggest Rogier fan. I, even I. though he even though he had a decent year with Charlotte. And if there's any stray Hornet fans listening to this podcast on just in passing, like we're not we're not, you know, trashing your team or anything like that. I just don't think Cherry Rogier is a good player to give a that type of contract to even if he had a decent year i like a backcourt of mellow ball i like to see what you have with a lamella ball and a Devonte graham backcourt while defensively you're going to allow 1 million points per game you're charlotte you need to have some flair and f- like you need to one put fans in seats but two if the mellow ball is the offensive player the high ceiling offensive player we think he has while he also has a low floor then why not explore that or um you know try out or see what a grand ball backcourt looks like because then you have other you have other good young players on that team like pj washington um i'm starting to come around on miles bridges i like that kid's attitude a lot actually he's his demeanor is very refreshing um so i think ball Ball's definitely see me and you are me and you are on the same wavelength about ball like i i love I love Lonzo Ball. I love Lamelo Ball, and I, I just think, think I, the thing with with Lonzo is Lonzo's a very uh, humble and very like very humble and very like when you talk to him, you can tell like this kid gets it, and he's mm-hmm. an adult and he's professional and he's mature. You don't get that from Lamelo. Yeah, it's it, they're completely polar opposites, but somehow have some some of the same qualities. Yeah, um, so like I believe in him, but I could see it going really badly really quickly. Okay, so uh I wanted to ask you, who are your who so who are your some of your favorite prospects from this draft? Like obviously we talked about the big guys, right? We talked yeah, about so Edward Ball the... and Wiseman. Um I have I have a few I have a few uh players on my list. Um don't yeah, know how I've... much we'll get into it uh time wise, but I Keep just want to know I just want to know off cuff uh what are you feeling? Uh, who are you, who are some of your uh, prospects you're very intrigued by? So I do like Denny Avdia. He uh, was on my list. <laughs> so a lot of people keep comparing him to Danilo Gallinari, and I think it's just because he's European and he has like that long, lanky frame. To I me, say he, I say he's more Mono Ginobili. He's see to me he's Mono Ginobili, really? where he's he's a solid shooter. He's not a great one. He has good form. He can knock down shots, but he's not great he's more he's better shooting off the dribble than he is catch and shoot uh but he's very fluid he's very instinctive he gets to the basket really well he's great footwork towards the basket um 
he's just very he plays very instinctive and he's he's very very smart and he understands how to cut he understands how to move without the ball solid uh, playmaker I right. love his game absolutely i think he's i think he's a special kind of role player guy i think he is going to be in the league i don't know if he's gonna be a starter but i know he's gonna be in the league for a while so denny avdia is is a he's a player that i look at i see hito turkaloo and uh i don't see the shoot i don't see the shooting though I th- see. I like the shot. I his percentage might be low, but I think his percentage might be low. And I know he's a bad free throw shooter, but when he has that set shot going, it's it's really comfortable. He ha- he obviously the form loses itself a little bit when he's on the move, but I I just see a playmaking four slash three with size and handle and just a smart basketball player yeah. and um. I somebody that I see like a Hito Turkoglu or a Bogdan Bogdanovich that can operate as kind of like a secondary hub of an offense, not a secondary scorer or a secondary playmaker, a secondary hub that can do a little bit of everything. Right sure. now he's kind of right now he's kind of competent at all of these things and not good or great in one area. So he has okay, I think to, he's a great cutter. I think he's a fantastic he, he moves a, without the ball. Okay, yeah. Like you can ask for more from him off the ball. That's true, off the ball. But I'm talking about for the role of having the ball in his hands as kind of like a secondary hub. Sure. Like, he's competent at everything, but I want to see him improve and be good in some areas. I'd also like to see him improve his off-the-dribble shooting a little bit because I think the standstill form, like I mentioned, is fine. Um, I want to see him improve. make a lot of them. Yeah, and I just want to see him improve his free throw shooting a little bit. But I look at somebody like him, like if he, I think a lot of people have him mocked to the Bulls. I think that's somebody, I think that's a pick that makes sense because the Bulls have about 10,000 scoring guards and like 5,000 bigs. <laughs> and they kind of need somebody who is not a unit, not a unit tasker, but can play, you know, you can play the three or the four. He'll probably get hunted on defense, especially early on in his career. He'll definitely get hunted. But um, he's somebody that could, you know, make smart decisions, is somebody that could play off the ball to Zach Levine or Kobe White, um, whatever the new Bulls front office decides to do with Laurie Marketin and Wendell Carter. I would personally, honestly, if I were the Bulls, I would try to keep, this team together and see what they could do under new coaching because I think Jim Boylan was one of the worst coaches I've ever seen in my life. And um so I want to see how a market and Carter uh junior front court will work out. Um but Denny Avdia is somebody who can kind of grease the wheels on offense. Um, I think he can tie them all together. Yeah. Yeah. See somebody who he's like uh the rug in the big Lebowski. It ties the room together, <laughs> right? And right. and I just th- I think somebody like Avdia is somebody who like I was saying, this draft has a lot of role players and players that could do multiple things. I think Avdia falls into one of those. I also, under this same category, I know he's a little bit of a more of a boomer bust prospect, but I like Alexei Pokusevsky. Oh, I have him here too. So <laughs> he was next on my list. This so is going to be hilarious if we end up with the same so, damn list. But <laughs> I, he's seven. He's seven feet tall. He has a seven three wingspan. He's a good shooter. He has good feet. He good moved. handle, good he's, playmaker. He's like, he's smooth. The only issue with him is that he's 
he is very he, skinny. He is very, <laughs> he is very, very skinny. And by the way, like this is definitely mostly this is me. I've watched, I've watched, you know, clips and a few. I've watched, uh, I think I've watched a few games of of him. Like I've tried to dig up stuff on YouTube about him and yeah, stuff. Yeah, he's someone that I binged recently. Like, but it, this is definitely me falling in love with the the package that he showed. Even it, that he showed, like he's the physical features. He's a playmaker, ball handler. He has the potential to be a really, really good shooter. I think. And the problem is, he just needs to add weight. And I, I, he's just somebody I would take a huge uh, swing on because yeah. he's another he's just player. Really interesting. Yeah, he's a really interesting player. He's also a big, and I think playmaking and shooting from that position is very effective and is, he's a ball handler also like there's just a lot to like about this guy i like so the uh i, I like some him... of the comparisons of like a uh, lamar odom debtless shrimp is too easy it's like comparing so to me so to me he like the ceiling is like the lamar odom christos Porzingis kind of thing right mm-hmm. the the bottom to me his bottom is like drag on bender <laughs> yeah yeah that, right that yeah yeah, I agree. I agree with that one hundred percent. But you just, but you look at you look at him and you look and you watch tape of him and you're just like, whoa, like okay, like there's something here and like you you could see him like he's way more fluid than a guy his size should be. Exactly, and has a way better handle than what a guy his size should be. Like I just like the complete package. Um, and I'm also happy that I pronounced his name correctly on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Pokushevsky? Yeah, Pokushevsky. I I even did the uh, little, you know, spell out and hyphen thing. (laughs) (laughs) So so the last guy on on my list, I had three guys. And so so one was Avdia, one was Pokushevsky, and then I have, and this is the one that I fight for the most, is Cole Anthony. Oh, okay. You like Cole Anthony. All right, make the the case for him. He's not on my list. So... Cole Anthony for Cole Anthony for a long time was the Zion of this draft class. Like yeah, we he was all, the number one recruit, right? Forever. Yeah, for, for a long time. Since he was like a middle school kid. Like everyone knew like he mm-hmm. had highlights, he had AAU highlights, like this kid was yep. supposed to be a monster. Then he was the MVP of the All-American, the McDonald's All-American game. He was the MVP of the Jordan Brand Classic game. He was the MVP of the Nike Hoop Summit. So the only thing that the only bad kind of thing on his resume is his one year at North Carolina. And so to me, it's more of a thing of North Carolina because he's a, he's a talented three level scorer. He can shoot, he can drive to the basket. He's a good mid range, mid range game. He reminds me a lot of Kemba Walker. Uh, He has a lot of that kind of shiftiness. He's a great ball handler. He's fast. He's quick. Uh, He has, he has a lot of, he's really active on both ends of the court too. So he has active hands. He's a great on and off ball. Um, the other thing he, he's not a great playmaker, but and, yeah. and he does have the shot selection thing that I was, that we were talking about before, but who doesn't in this draft class? The thing is that he is the best. He's at his best when he's in the fast break, getting out there in transition running. And he didn't get a chance to do that at North Carolina because of the Roy Williams offense. They like to play in the half court in North Carolina. And so you could see it in his game where he didn't look comfortable. He was playing with a lot of players that he had North Carolina ran two centers the entire time. So he, the space was very congested. 
Yeah, he, have a lot he, did of look, he did look out of place at times in the times I watched him. I also like his, uh, I do like his, uh, the scoring potential and the shooting package that he has too. I don't, like, it's amazing how, like, players like Cole Anthony, they're highly recruit, they're highly respected, they're top recruits and stuff like that. And then they go to a prestigious program like, say, Duke before Mike Shashevsky started going with the one and done or, you know, North Carolina now, and they're kind of just put in a situation where you have the player has to adjust to the system and you don't right. adjust the system to the player. I think Shashevsky's gotten a lot better at that. Krzyzewski's oh yeah. Gotten... No, that's, that's why I said pre one and done Shashevsky yeah. when he started dipping into the forbidden fruit. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do. I, so I do get what you're saying. Um, because think about it, in the NBA, the floor is not going to be that congested, and it's a lot no. faster than he'd play. Like it, he'd play the NBA plays to all of his strengths. Oh, exa- oh, 100 percent. And if he say like, I think uh, a lot of big boards have him like mid first round, late first round. Like that could be like that could be a potential steal for that could be a potential steal for any of the late lottery teams, and that. That he's the type of player where it's like, wow, this guy keeps on falling and falling and falling. And right. then like next thing you know, he falls to like the Dallas Mavericks or the Nets or the Heat or somebody like that. Or even the Sixers. That I would take Cole Anthony on the Sixers, honestly. Uh, just because he's somebody who's a good ball handler, good shooter, plays fast. He's somebody that could play next to Ben Simmons. Um, because I've seen him mocked there a few times by some people. Um it's just, it's amazing how he might be a, yeah, like I said, he might be a byproduct of not having adjusted to playing in a system that's already established as opposed right. to having it built around him. So I definitely see where you're coming from on that one. I think the thing too with Cole Anthony is his. The Bucks me, could even take him. Right. Uh, to To me. Right now, he come, he could come in and be a Lou Williams type of guy to come off the bench and just give you minutes and score. Yep. The worry, I think, with him is that he comes in, he's Malik Monk. Oh, I was very, I was very high on Malik Monk. <laughs> so was I. I thought Malik Monk. <laughs> but the thing is that he hasn't translated either. Yep. But he's a, it's a similar type of thing where you're like, this guy's a talented scorer. Uh, you know, but the thing, I think Cole Anthony has the, the thing that Cole Anthony has over Malik Monk is the size. Because mm-hmm. Cole Anthony is 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, so he is a bigger guy. Malik Monk is, I think, six six feet, six something. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he has the size and he has a little more stronger of a frame to be able to take that punishment and be able to drive to the basket and not die. <laughs> so yep. I feel so bad because Malik Monk tries to drive to the basket sometimes and he just gets bullied. And he just around. gets anni- <laughs> annihilated. He'll try to dunk on somebody and it's just like, oh god. <laughs> you know, and so he's turned into sort of the forced jump shooter, but you can tell that he's not comfortable doing that all the time. Yeah. Uh, but Cole Anthony, I think, can still take that punishment and be the three level scorer that we think he is. Mm-hmm. Uh but I think, yeah, he's the peak, he's Kemba Walker and you can run your offense. The middle ground is okay, he's He's Lou Williams, and then, or he's Malik Monk. Like either, and honestly, Malik Monk still isn't bad. I would still take Malik Monk 
as like my bench. I would take forward. a I would take a flyer on him if the Hornets were looking to move on from him for right. sure. Yeah, because so, I I don't think you know. that situation was great for him either, especially coming up behind Kimball Walker, and you know now Devonte Graham and Terry Rozier are kind of cemented there at least for you know at least the next year or so. So um, right, Cole Anthony, if the floor if the ceiling is Kimball Walker or the floor is Austin Rivers or Lou Williams, like in right. the middle, like that's a damn good pick and the late. To in the late rounds, like the late teens, early twenties, right? And like, to me, when you keep talking about a draft that is so uncertain and has so little, uh, kind of boom value in terms of big stars, taking a shot on a guy like Cole Anthony with his history, I think is a pretty safe kind of risk to take. Right. Um. Okay. So I'm gonna. Do you have, do you have I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to kind of cheat here because I want to talk about Tyrell Terry um, cuz he's on my he's on my list but I'm going to my third guy. I want to get your thoughts on Tyrell Terry. Um so I'm going to come up with a different third guy that I had on my list. I like Tyrese Halliburton a lot. Okay. And I I can see that. And he while he might not be the fastest, he, everybody says the comparison is Shea Gilgis Alexander and you know what? I'm going to be the echo chamber too, because I 100% see that. I see the smoothness, the not rushing a beat faster than what he likes playing. Um, long strides, good handle, supreme passer. Like I, Shea Gilgis Alexander is a, is a really good playmaker. I think Ty Halliburton has some special qualities to his passing. Shot is wonky for sure, but it goes in. He's like a 40 plus percent three point shooter, but he is somebody that if you're a contender down the line, like a 23 year old, 24 year old Ty Halliburton could definitely be one of the centerpieces of a contender to me um, because he is somebody like, like I was saying in more of the mold of Denny Avdi or somebody like that, somebody who can be a secondary hub of your offense so to grease to keep the to keep the engine turning to in a football term keep your offense on schedule right, right. Um, more he, he'll take pressure off your franchise player he'll take pressure off of uh, off of uh, the other other playmate uh, or his other teammates he'll make his teammates better he is good in the pick and roll he is good in the half court while the explosiveness might not be there. Th- Little and little over the last few years, when I hear the term like the knock on Doncic was, oh, he's slow, right? He's slow. The guy knows how to get the guy knows how to get to his spots, right? Right. And he knows how to manipulate his strength. His he, Halliburton himself, he needs to put on a little bit more, I think. But he knows how he understands angles. He knows how to use his body, and he just has this ability to see the play. Oh before it develops and i look at that and more so than an anthony edwards who might be a sub- supreme scorer or a cole anthony who might have the ceiling of a kimball walker and was in a you know bad system that didn't really fit his game i see ty halliburton as somebody who he could play anywhere because he's a really good shooter i do wonder what his shot will look like off the dribble he's definitely going to have to make some tweaks to his form not too much because like I said, if it goes in, it goes in. And if it goes in at a 40 plus percent rate, 
I, I don't want you to change too much. Like, don't be Mikkel Bridges or <laughs> Markel Foltz and just completely retool your shooting form when you don't need to. But there are definitely some footwork things I'd like to see him work out in the base of his jumper. Um, but he is somebody who can do a lot of different things. And I, I love his game. Um, I think he's an absolute lottery pick. He might not be the best player on a championship team, but he's going to be the damn important one. The guy that's like, oh, well, if the Warriors didn't have Andre Iguodala, who knows how many championships they would have won that type of role player. So I agree with you. I think on the offensive end of the court, I think the the Andre Iguodala thing, the comp Andre Iguodala is perfect. I think he's the opposite of Andre Iguodala, where offensively, you're not worried about him at all. He creates so much, and he helps your offense flow so much uh, offensively. I think the problem with me with him is defense. Where he's a great sure. off he's a great off ball defender because he is so intelligent and he has so much, uh, so much you know basketball IQ that he's able to make the right play and see them before they happen. The problem to me with him is his he's kind of stiff when he's one-on-one. very stiff. He's yeah. extremely and he's to me he's a guy that defenses are going to hunt. Oh, for or sure. offenses are going to hunt. And the thing is, one hundred percent, you can't have him on the floor at in crunch time, where I think you need his offense the most. And so, and what do you think his offense, do you think his offense will be good enough to offset that? Cause that's where I kind of, that's that I kind of think his skill set portends to have a more develop as he develops. I think his skill set and package portends him to have an offensive game where maybe he does get a little bit better in one-on-one defense and maybe he knows how to, you know, bend his hips and keep that low center of gravity. A little bit maybe he becomes an okay maybe below average one-on-one defender but a smart off-ball defender but his offense is so effective that you can justify keeping him on the court sure i could i could definitely say that happened i think that's the only reason why i don't have him higher is because a lot of the stuff that he is he needs to work on on defense is not so much it's things that he can work on but it is just him like he has the some, physical limitations right the physical limitations and then just the you know his high center of gravity he has bad footwork on the defensive end he doesn't slide his feet very well mm-hmm. uh, moving moving latin I, again i don't care about burst or athleticism but like there's a his lateral movement is not very. that's important for one-on-one defense right his lateral movement is very very poor yeah uh he loses his man a lot <laughs> uh you know, fighting, fighting through screens or doing whatever he needs. To, like, he just does not stay with people. Yep. And especially in the NBA, if he's playing the two guard, he's going to have to stay with Steph or Clay notice how I notice how or... I'm agreeing with you on all this stuff. But I, just, <laughs> I am just falling head first into his. Like, no, I, I, I totally get it. <laughs> again, like to me, it's just a concern. Uh, and it's, again, For sure. is, it's, it is a concern. Yes, I agree. The, with you. It's the same to me. It's the same thing. Again, if you want to switch to Tyrell Terry, it's the same thing yes, that I have with Tyrell, Tyrell Terry, Terry now. Where to me, Tyrell, Tyrell Terry, for anyone that doesn't know, Tyrell Terry is the is the Trey Young, Steph Curry, Dame Lillard of this draft. <laughs> and he is clearly the best shooter in this draft. Yes. Like very, uh, like it is very, it's very clear. Like, my note, my, my note says he needs to work on ev- just about everything other than shooting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I think he's a solid finisher around the basket when he gets there. I think he has a decent handle. Like I think when people get lost with the Trey Young, Steph Curry comparisons is obviously they shoot really far, right? 
But right. there's more to Steph Curry's game. Steph Curry is one of the best ball handlers of all time. He is by far the greatest shooter ever. So I don't even sure. think that comparison is fair. It's been in that mold. He's in, in that yeah, mold. In that in that mold for sure. Trey Young, unbelievable top five passer in the NBA. Just a juggernaut offensively, but he's so small. He's an awful defender. I also uh, in back to Steph Curry, I've argued for years that I think he's actually a good defender. And I've had, this will be a story for another time when we do more podcast episodes, but I actually got into a drunk argument at a party one time at my friend's birthday party about Steph Curry. <laughs> That's how much I stand Steph Curry. Um, but I think Ty Halliburton, or not Ty Halliburton, Tyrell Terry falls somewhere in between those guys, right? Like, right. He he's is- not Trey Young in terms of, he's not going to, I th- I looked at the usage rate. I think Tyrell Terry had a 24% usage rate uh, at his loan season at Stanford. Trey Young's usage percentage, you want to take a guess at what that was in Oklahoma? Got to be like 60-something because he, <laughs> he did everything. It's not – it it might as well be, but it was like 37.1%. That's like James Harden levels of usage right. rate in the NBA. Pretty much what Trey Young probably has now, to be honest. But – um. And Tyrell Terry is somebody who, like Steph, knows how to manipulate his shooting prowess. He's, he's off a the, fantastic off screen, ball. off ball. Like Steph Curry's one of the best I have ever seen at moving without the ball and relocating him and Clay. I think Tyrell Terry has a lot of that. I think Tyrell Terry is a good shooter off the dribble. And unlike with Trey Young, Trey Young, he shoots a lot of threes. I think Trey Young is a really really good shooter Tyrell Terry is a great shooter and I think that range and being that elite at three-point shooting is more game-changing the Trey Young is game-changing because he could shoot from deep and he's a sublime playmaker so that kind of goes hand in hand with the gravity he pulls I think Tyrell Terry his ability to pull gravity will come from the fact that he is such a dead-eye shooter from range that teams are just going to be scared of him and that's why I love uh, he's on my list of favorite prospects, but yes, there are concerns. He is small. Well, in college, he was six one. He's six three now, but if he's still in the one seventy range, like no NBA player weighed under one seventy last year. Like he's gonna have to add on. So my, I think I completely agree with you with there. I I love him in pick and roll. I think he is one of the best pick and roll players because he has his. He's one of the quickest players, like on a turn. Like as soon as he turns that corner, he's gone. Yep. Uh, but the thing is with him again, he's like you're saying, he's small. He doesn't have any kind of. He's a catch and shoot shooter. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have any kind of ability to create shots with his dribble that I've seen him do consistently. Like there's no, there's no step back. There's no. Uh, that's the next step for him. His right. off the dribble game, the, like he there's that's why he has flashes of it, and that's why I'm like, oh, we got to like, if Daryl Morey could somehow sweet, so you're gonna hear a lot of Sixers re- and Lakers references, <laughs> by the way, because we're I'm a Sixer fan, you're a Lakers fan, but if Daryl Morey could somehow swing a trade where he moves up a little bit, as Tyrell Terry's draft, if, if Tyrell Terry is falling down the draft, if Daryl Morey could swing a trade to move up and take this guy, I'd be doing backflips for for that because um, he does need to improve his off the dribble game, but his shooting it, it's so it's so elite that I think that that will just come with time. 
Um, sure. He's also he also kind of has a nasty competitive streak, like. Sure. Like I, I, I like I speak I, like it's layman's terms, but I I watch games of him and he gives a shit. <laughs> like sure, I think that's I think that's great. I think the thing is that no matter how competitive you are, there's oh, only yeah, so yeah. much you there's only so much you can do with six one or six two whatever it is. Well, now he's six three. He had a growth spurt. <laughs> okay, there you go. He, but like again, there's only so much you can do, especially when he's one seventy. There's only so much you can do. For sure, he's gonna get hunted. He's gonna get. You know, it it just depends on can he again, like we were saying with Tyler Halliburton. That's why you have his, a Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons to back you up, right? Can <laughs> well, can pieces around him? Can you hide him a little? And can he, you know, can he bulk up a little? And can he get bigger? And can he is his offense going to outweigh what he can? What his limitations are on defense? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you do you see a pathway to where he becomes like because? The knock on Steph Curry for the longest time, and I hate to go back to the Steph Curry thing, but the knock on him was he was a terrible defender. And I think it's because we saw him go against LeBron so much and LeBron hunting him in the finals that people just sure. thought he was a bad defender. I so I, I, I've always I'm... argued he's a good defender because his off-ball defense is incredible. And while his one-on-one defense, he could get bullied and he could get bullied and put under the basket, he tries he has quick hands like sure. he has a he has a quick lightning release so i think that translates well to the defensive end of the court and you see steph curry getting strips that you don't expect or big defensive plays you don't expect so do you see tyrell terry do you see a path for tyrell terry that way on the defensive end sure i think i think tyrell terry has shown that he can like you know like you said he gives a shit like he shows a lot of effort and he really battles like he's he's the guy that you know he ends up in a game with a lot of scratches and you, you can tell he's he's mm-hmm. diving and he's making plays but the thing so for me i think steph is a good defender i don't think he's a great defender i don't think i think he's a solid serviceable defender i think to me regardless of whether you try and regardless of whether you are showing effort like that doesn't matter if you're small the physical limitations right, the physical limitations much, yeah. don't like you know, I can I can give all the effort I want if I can go I can go out there. It doesn't make me a good defender, right? Uh, if I don't have the tools to do that, and mm-hmm. so I don't know if Tyrell Terry has the tools to do that. I think again, I think he could be a serviceable defender. I think he could be a solid defender. I think it's very rare that you get someone like a, uh, you know, like a, I don't know, uh, like a Dream. like a. No, not not like a Trey Young, like a um, like a Muggsy Bogues, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're like, where he is small, but he is a defensive menace. I think like those that kind of like yeah, Fred overcoming Van, Fred Van Vliet, right? Like or like where where you're overcoming your physical limitations with your with different skills. I think mm-hmm. again, I think that's that's very rare, and so I'm not going to put him in that category of like, yeah, I can see that's that fair. happening. That's fair. Uh, but I think. You know, I I can see it where his offense is going to make up for that. I can see him in the Trey Young spot where he's he is not doing the same thing Trey Young's doing, but he is at that level where he is. The defenses are so scared of him that you know on offense you're you're spending most of your offense trying to punish Terrell Terry just so he doesn't hurt you on the offensive end, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, and you focus too much on that. Right, and then that's when other guys are able to capitalize and double and do it and kind of help protect him again i think it depends on the system that he's in and around like again if he goes to the sixers i think that's a great situation for him to be in because then you can you can 
pretty much they, plays... trust me the team does not lack in size <laughs> so no, you can pretty much play zone at that point and just yeah. have him run up top and then everyone else plays zone behind him like a box in one yeah uh so yeah with the know. with the zone everybody's been playing too like right like, yeah yep yeah. uh daryl Morey, you know get it done <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast so yeah you know i i could totally see that happening but yeah i i have him on on the board i just don't i'm not as high as him on him as, mm-hmm. as you are um I think I think there's other guys. I like I would take Killian Hayes above him. I would take like Oh for sure. Killian I'd Hayes. Like, yeah. I'd take like Onyeko Kongwu over him. I think I think Okongwu's yeah. a solid option. I take Obi Top. I know a lot of Cavs fans are hoping he drops to them, like that they yeah. that they get him. Yeah. Uh I prefer like Alex Okoro or Isaiah I sorry, not Alex, uh, I Isaac Okoro over him. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, like there's other guys in this draft that I think are more solid. Uh, but I think would you, say, would you take Kira Lewis Jr. over him? Uh, it's hard to look at Alabama and say like <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's just the situation at that point. Like I don't know if he was in the right situation. I think that he is. He honestly might be another Colin Sexton, where I wasn't high on Sexton in the draft. I'm still not the... high on Sexton. <laughs> I think he's. I think he's honestly a lot better than I thought he would be. I think because his three-point shot is coming around he's still like he's improving as a defender i think trying hard still, and making mean faces still, on defense is half the is not how you play defense but like he's improved in that area he's a lot better than what i thought he would be i'll just say that i'm still concerned that colin sexton doesn't know how to play basketball correctly <laughs> <laughs> okay like he i think colin sexton has all the tools but he just makes really bad decisions mm-hmm yeah, and they're for... just like, I don't know if you know what to do with this. Like, it's like a, it's like if you gave a five year old kid like that body, and you're like, go play basketball, and he's like, great. <laughs> and it... oh my god, <laughs> like maybe that's a little harsh, but like you know what I'm saying? Like it's like it's like it's like the movie Big, right? It's like you, it's yeah. like you wish he was like you wished upon a thing. And he's like, I want to be an NBA player, and he grew into Colin Sexton. And he's like, how do I play basketball? I don't know. And he's just trying to. So to make me like, make me like Mike is make me like Colin. (laughs) Yeah. And you're like, Oh, drive to the basket. And it's like, no, it doesn't work like that. You can't drive into the basket on six dudes. It doesn't work. So, Uh, but I would see like, uh, I would take Tyrell Terry over Kira Lewis. Um, RJ Hampton is is another one. I would take Tyrell Terry over RJ Hampton. He just seems like another. I would have taken RJ Hampton. Really? I like the size. I I just see, I just see another dante exum like d- guy who's yeah. turbo turbo he fat. like dante exum. like his his face is dante exum he looks like dante <laughs> exum <laughs> like somebody who's really fast and explosive and could get to the rim right um you know has decent feel but really doesn't offer much else for me like he's not a good shooter his footwork is inconsistent like yeah i, no, I totally get that, where you're coming from his think- at rim finishing like he could get to the rim, but he doesn't finish what, like, I just, I don't see it with RJ Hampton personally. So um, to me, to me again, like it comes back to the thing of the unsure nature of this draft. And I think like, if I'm taking a swing, I'm swinging for RJ Hampton. Cause I know what Tyrell Perry yeah. is. Right. Okay, like, yeah. If I'm, if I'm going to use that, if I'm going to use that argument for, you know, Pokashevsky and things like that rj hampton is another you know swing he's a, high prospect. He's another project right like he's another he's another guy where it's like he needs like if he fixes his shot he's he is what we thought dante exum would have been right like he is the same mm-hmm. exact thing uh i think the to me the rj hampton thing 
his he has such a great wingspan he's so long of a player mm-hmm. and he he does have great footwork in terms not in terms of his jump shot he six five six seven wingspan six yeah and he has <clears throat> he has a fantastic body control and he moves his feet really well uh you know to me that's the kind of guy where i go okay cool i can see how you fit on both ends of the court where with tyrell terry i have to make exceptions to my like regardless of whether he develops i have to i still have to make exceptions mm. for him where rj hampton i think is more plug and play right like cool i know i can put you out here and you can fill this spot and i don't have to worry too much definitely about i have the defense the, the defensive potential is there too like with dante like when dante axum was healthy like remember that one series he had and i think it was the 2018 playoffs against the uh rockets like and he defended james harden really well for that one series and then unfortunately injuries have really just done dante axum in so it's not even fair to say he's a bust or anything but um I just I do see that with RJ Hampton also. Like you just see the well, one the explosive athleticism, and then the just the size and the length, and you see the defensive upside there for sure. Um, one more honorable mention, Sadiq Bay. I think all Villanova players should be taken in the first round from now. If you hear any Villanova players uh, being scouted or mocked in the first round, take that seriously. Take take them because they are well coached they know how to, they know the roles that they're in you look at Sadiq Bay uh, I love Sadiq Bay 610 is a really good team defender you know he's a little too upright to be a one he's kind of like Robert Covington in the sense that his one his one-on-one defense would be okay or average sometimes it could be good um but most of the times he's going to cap out at average because he has slow lateral foot speed but he's a knockdown shooter a very smart team defender and just knows how to play so you look at guys like eric paschkel um mikhail bridges josh hart dante divincenzo had a great season for the bucks last uh, this past season before completely falling apart in the playoffs but villanova players are well coached and if you hear any more villanova players in the next t- as long as jay wright is there in every year in every draft if you hear villanova players being mocked in the first round heed that heed that advice is all i'm gonna say right so in that same vein uh when this is the last guy we'll bring up before you have to go but the the guy that i want to bring up in that same vein later in the draft for a contender is Cassius Winston. Okay. All right. I was thinking about him to, too. To, I w- to me, again, same thing. If you have Michigan State seniors coached by Tom Izzo for four years, to me, that's a guy that can come in right away and, and make it and contribute off the bench in some kind of role player capacity. Again, they're not going to be the biggest stars. You're not, those, those kind of guys aren't the biggest stars. That's why they're seniors. Mm-hmm. But those are guys that can come in to me he can come in and be that stabilizing force off the bench with a young team or with a veteran team and sort of provide that energy and that spark and that intelligence off the bench Cassius Winston is the player that nerds will cite his on off numbers and per 100s for the next for his entire career because I think he's an impact player also I absolutely agree with you like Tom Izzo has a long has, has also has a history of coach of uh you know sending players to the nba well coached solid fundamentals and cassius winston is somebody who could just contribute right away run your offense good shooter 
um, kind of sets the table and, you know, like that, that's, a, there's, that's no hole, there's no, there's holes no holes in, in his game. Exactly. exactly. And he, nothing's going to stand out and like jump off the table, but he is a kind of guy like a Fred Van Fleet where you go, what does he do wrong? Nothing. Yep. Yep. And he's never going to hurt your team. And he's going to make over the course of a season or a, even a playoff series or a game is going to make a player or two that's going to win you the game or give you some kind of an advantage. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to me, that's the kind of guy that you you're looking for later in the draft. If you're a veteran team, if you're if you're the Lakers, the Clippers, the Bucks, someone like that, that's the kind of guy that you, you'd want to pick up. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that good compare good comparison uh, with Fred Van Vliet, Kyle Lowry, Yogi Ferrell is what I'm seeing on KOC's uh, mock uh, his uh, big board right now. And that's also those are also good comparisons. Cassius Winston is just somebody you you would is a great second round pick. If you have a high second round pick, I would get him too. Oh, actually, another cash, another cash is too. Cash is Stanley looking at the look at the big boards again. That's another guy to take a swing on, but I think lower in the draft. Yeah, yep, <clears throat> for sure. All right, do you have anyone else you want to bring up? Um, I wanted to bring up Killian Hayes, but it seems like me and you are on the same level with Killian Hayes. I think he is a guy who has the most upside out of anybody in this draft. Um, uh, besides you know Wiseman and Ball. Um lefty gang first of all um <laughs> it's definitely we were talking earlier about you know the kids that are coming up now that grew up in the era of steph and harden killian hayes is when i say harden i am not saying he's james harden obviously we have people like that that's just common sense i'm just saying he has shades of it where you see the step back you see the craftiness and the you know precise and to, in the precise footwork of Euro stepping and getting to the rim. Um, Killian Hayes relies on his left hand a lot, which kind of, you know, scares as somebody who watches Ben Simmons use his right hand literally all the time when, especially in situations where a left-handed layup is usually the right call to go with Killian Hayes does that with his left hand a lot. He relies on his left hand too much. I'd like to see him improve there, but good passer, great shooting potential is in the mold of a Harden or a Manu Ginobili. And while he might not reach those heights, that's a skill set that is very attractive. And for me, it, I would put him right up there in the Wiseman ball, uh, Wiseman ball class in terms of the high prospects I would obviously take a swing for. Killian Hayes, I think, has a higher floor than those two because I think he could be put in any situation and succeed because I think he has the package to do it. Um, but he's definitely in that tier for me. Right. So I have him up there as well. I think the thing with me with Killian Hayes is he has every measurable you want. He's six five. He has six nine wingspan. Uh he's not an outstanding athlete, uh, but to, you know, he's solid. He has a great feel, great passer. He has good touch. But I, I think the thing with me is that his percentages are pretty low. Again, he shoots eighty eight percent from three throw line. So like we keep saying, that's a better metric, but he shot twenty nine percent from three from college. Uh, the thing that I've noticed is he kind of has Lonzo Ball syndrome, where <laughs> he picks up his dribble or he leaves his feet for seemingly no reason. Yeah. Okay. Where I could, I could see that. I don't know what the purpose. Like he'll jump up for a layup, but he won't go for a layup, and he'll get stuck in the air, and mm -hmm. he'll have and he'll get lost. That happens a lot. 
I also see the criticism the I do and I also see the criticism that he does too much but I think honestly if you were somebody who has the ball in his hands a lot I think that's I think I don't see I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily that's a bad that's not a bad thing no like it's just a byproduct to me of having more usage and I think as he gets older he'll clean some of that stuff up and he'll figure out things that he can get away with in the NBA than he did in France so um he's a smart player it, it Good, really good playmaker, really good, has great shooting potential. Like you, you cited his uh, free throw percentage, but I do see a little bit of, I also seen the comparison of D'Angelo Russell. I might see that a tiny bit in the sense that they're lefty and that they get their shots off quickly in a weird way. I think the way D'Angelo gets his uh, shot off and his release is more shifty has, has always been interesting to me. And I think Killian Hayes has that a little bit, but I do see more of the Manu Ginobili um, ridiculous playmaking. Like he'll, some of the passes he made overseas was just like, Oh my goodness. Like, and then, you know, he has the the step back, you know, and he just needs to work on. There's just some stuff he needs to polish up for sure. But I like Killian Hayes a lot. I, anywhere he falls in this draft, I think the, they're getting a good one. Like if the I think Knicks, he's going top 10 for sure. I think if the Nick, if he falls to eight and the Knicks get him, I think that's I think him and R.J. Barrett, that becomes an interesting backcourt, even though R.J. Barrett, I think, honestly, I'm still holding on rj barrett stock i just believe in the work ethic and um i the situation obviously is not great but if like killian hayes could come in and help out barrett a little bit i think that's an interesting backcourt uh for sure so last question before we get out of here yes you're the knicks you have eight killian hayes and lamella ball are still on the board no don't do this <laughs> what do you do Oh boy. Uh obviously obviously Killian Hayes is the smarter, safer choice, but Lamella Ball has the potential to Ooh man. I would <laughs> <laughs> so my my heart is telling me to go with Lamella Ball, but if I'm trying to be logical and look at it from a Knicks perspective and a Knicks fans perspective. Killian Hayes would be the better choice because I don't think you can sell. I don't think you could sell high potential to your fan base anymore. I think the goodwill is gone with that, with that team. Yeah. Well, if it wasn't already gone, it's gone for sure. Especially after the Katie fiasco and them releasing a press release on July 1st saying that they weren't, that they <laughs> expressing their disappointment about not getting Kevin Durant pretty much. Like I think, the fan base has lost their trust with this team. So I don't think you could sell LaMelo ball, especially, you know, people will just automatically assume he's volatile because of his family and stuff like that, right. which sucks. But Killian Hayes to me would be the safer pick because I think he's a cleaner fit with RJ Barrett. I think because it's a cleaner fit with RJ Barrett, that that could help them develop together more seamlessly. And so uh, with Lamella, like we said, he has the lowest floor in this draft. And if he's put in a bad situation like the Knicks, I'm scared. <laughs> and I think no, Killian I totally Hayes, agree. I think Killian Hayes can succeed anywhere um, it, with his type of skill set. He obviously has to prove it and reach to that point. But I would take Killian Hayes. All right, totally. I totally agree with you. It's just I I think I prefer Lamelo, but I think Killian Hayes is the safer option in a volatile yeah. situation like that. But it's the Knicks, so it means they'll take Obi Toppin. 
Uh, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> they need more power forwards. We, we talking about power forwards? Hey, we have we have plenty of the Knicks and the Sixers probably have the most capital owned in power forwards in the NBA <laughs> combined. <laughs> when the grit and grind comes back, they'll be ready. <laughs> um, uh, awesome. All right, Jordan. Thank you. Thank you for the talk. Thank you for the call. Thanks everyone yeah, for listening. Man. I'm excited. Let me just say, I am excited to keep doing this. Uh, would you hit me up to start co-hosting a podcast? It was an easy decision. You're literally the first person I have ever had a civil agree to disagree debate about Allen Iverson with in my life. So <laughs> I was like, okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll probably litigate it again at some point, but I am very excited to keep this going. And yeah, uh, thanks for, thanks for, uh, in choosing me to do to embark on this adventure with you i guess to get absolutely, a little man. sappy for a second no absolutely I'm, I'm super excited so thank you for joining me and thank everyone for listening and uh, the, we'll be back next week the bob